Hello, and welcome to Ice Age Prep Reads, Season 1, The Adam and Eve Story by Chan Thomas. We're in the second part of this story. Um, this will be uh, the aftermath part of the book. And I'm reading this off of the Internet Archives uh, online. Um, want to mention also that, you know, uh, this is the first time that I'm reading this, coming across it as well, so you'll find that there's errors, and you'll know when I come across them, or they'll come across, I'll come across words that I haven't uh, pronounced before, and you'll know when I hit those. Um, it's been a while since I've been posting these, and, you know, like I said, it's the first time that I've been reading this, so we've been exploring this and learning this together. Some of it's taken me quite a bit back a bit, and then given all the things that are going on in the world these days. So, I want to say that a couple days ago, I actually logged into my Anchor account and saw how many people are actually listening to this. And, you know, it's not a huge number. I'm not a well-established, you know, powerhouse <laughs> uh, but it was very uplifting so I'm back and I'm going to keep chugging one a week I'm going to try to get it up to two a week so we can get through this and move on to another book um, this is chapter four Angels and UFOs and spoiler I read this um, just ten minutes ago maybe uh, and there was something wrong with my audio program and none of it got captured. So this is my second attempt. Um, thanks again, everybody, for listening. I know you take your time to listen to this and I appreciate it. Um, so thank you. Oh, spoiler also, um, Chan Thomas does a hard turn in this chapter. Uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll see. Chapter 4, Angels and UFOs. Now we come to another factor. What is an angel? And further, who is an angel? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote about angels as if they were a normal, accepted part of their life and their times. It all started when Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, decided to go to the sepulcher where Jesus was buried. There they found the blocking stone removed and Jesus gone. They found one or two men there. Matthew said he was an angel whose countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. Mark said, and, and entering into the sepulchre, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment. Not once did Mark mention that there was an angel there. Luke said, and it came to pass as they, presumably the three women, were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. John said, But Mary stooped down and looked into the sepulchre, and sees two angels in white, sitting, one, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. There is an entertaining game which sometimes is played at parties. Everyone sits in chairs in a circle, and the first one on one end is given a short message in writing. 
Each person relays the message verbally, whispering the message into the next person's ear, until the last person in the circle receives it and writes it down. Invariably, the two written messages bear little resemblance to each other. If we go through the circle, each one telling what the message was that he received, we find that the message deteriorated each time it was relayed. Sometimes one step in the relaying circle changes the whole meaning of the message. Try it sometime when you're at a party. It's fun and revealing. The strange thing is that the mathematics of communications theory and exact science predicts this deterioration in relaying information, intelligent information. The more links in the relay, the more the deterioration. The worst series of links is to have all of the links human, like the ring of chairs, one person per chair. The more persons, the more ridiculous, the deterioration. Now, none of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were at the sepulchre, so what they wrote was not first-hand information. Even if each one of them had spoken to the same woman of the three who went to the sepulchre, her story could or would have differed each time she told it to one of the four. Or if each woman told the story to a different disciple, that the story most certainly would have varied. Further, if none of them had told the disciples the story, but the disciples were told the story by a mix of secondary sources, it would have varied greatly. The fact is that we don't know how Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John got the sepulchre story. They can't be changed. In spite of all the differences between the four relatings of the same story, we have to take into account each version, if nothing more than just to see where we stand. Matthew stated, One angel, continents like lightning, ringed white as snow, the angel spoke to the woman, all had fear of the angel. Mark stated, One young man, seated on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, three women were affrighted, he spoke to the woman. Luke stated, Two men in shining garments were standing by the woman. The women were afraid. Both spoke to the women, saying the same words. John stated, Mary Magdalene alone stood outside the sepulchre. Stooping and looking in, she saw two angels in white. Angels were sitting at the head, one at the head, one at the feet, where Jesus had lain. They conversed with her. No fear was mentioned. She saw Jesus and did not recognize him. She thought he was the gardener. John's relation varies so much from the other three that it suggests a different event. It appears that she visited the sepulchre with the other women, then ran back, encountered Peter, and told him that the stone was taken away from the sepulchre. The two of them then ran back to the sepulchre to start the story. So what can we conclude from these four stories? Let's see. The angels, one, the angels look like men. In fact, they must have been men. Two, whether they're were one or two of them, he or they, wore long, bright white, clean, glistening robes. 3. Although strangers, they could speak Hebrew and spoke calmly and authoritatively to the women. 4. Whether one or two of them, they had countenances which caused fear in the women, except in the story related by John. It could be that Mary Magdalene, in her first visit to the sepulchre, with the other two women, had visited with the man or men at that time, who had dispelled the woman's fears with his or their words. So when she returned, she had no fear. What about these men? They were not known anywhere. They were dressed totally different than anyone in the area, or even far away from that area. They showed absolutely no fear of anyone or anything. Matthew stated that the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled back the stone from the door of the sepulchre. I'll bet a pound of earth that he was waiting at the sepulchre for those who crucified Jesus to show up, hence his countenance was like lightning. 
It looks as if we must conclude that these men, these angels, came to earth in their space vehicle to take care of the aftermath of Jesus' crucifixion. Let's say that their space vehicle was an Ezekiel's wheel. Any dissenters only alternative to this is name-calling. So why would these men, these angels, watch over Jesus? The only answer is in legend, in that they watched over him because he was a genius. A man who graduated from the Nicole Temple in so short a time that he could spend his life taking his learnings of his, the true faith from the Temple, turned them into teachings, taking them to the rest of the world. Spoiler, this is where I think Chan Thomas goes a little fast, but bear with me, let's see where it goes. These people from the other worlds never come here to live because this planet is the garbage dump of the universe. We murder, rape, steal, wage war, killing millions. There are millions of young girls and women in the Eastern Hemispheres sexually mutilated to prevent them from having sexual intercourse before marriage. There's forced prostitution by kidnapping child females being sold into marriage, then sold into prostitution, out-and-out slavery, greed beyond comparison, wanton destruction of our planet by pollution and greed, unbridled reproduction without responsibility, the spread of death-dealing diseases by irresponsible action, all of these deeds being perpetuated as commonly as you and I sprinkle salt on our food. On top of this, we have a worldwide addiction to narcotics and narco-selling. We have wife-beating, girlfriend-beating, child-beating, and murder on an unprecedented scale in our country, so prevalent in other countries that it is a matter of normalcy. Rape is so common the world over that if we were to stop it, knowing where and how to stop it would be as difficult as knowing where and how to stop narcotics abuse and selling, which is ha has the world firmly by the tail now. Governments deteriorated to a point where a whole planet is near anarchy. Some governments are on the brink of wipeout from losses to AIDS. Let's take a look at our government, the federal government of the USA. Do you know that every government official who approves of the federal budget violates his oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States of America? Consequently, each one who approves the federal budget every year is subject to impeachment. Why is each one approving a federal budget not impeached? Because there are too many of them? Probably. Why should each one approving the budget be impeached? Let's see. Our government is in business, in fact over 4,000 businesses. Each and every one of them loses money every year. They make up further losses every year by asking the legislature to appropriate funds to cover their losses. The legislature appropriates those funds. How our government ever got to over 4,000 businesses to begin with is a question for historians to answer. I won't attempt to analyze it here. The point is, we are in the business how legal it is the point is, we are in these businesses. How legal is it for our government to be in any business, and what can be done about it? See, going down a different path than started out with, right? <laughs> it has always been the axiom of constitutional law that if it's not in the Constitution, the government cannot do it. Um, quick sidebar here. Um, you know, on the Internet Archives uh, online, there are several... Uh, entries for the Adam Eve story by Chan Thomas and I have not yet verified whether all of those PDFs are the same or if they're different. So just know that I'm going to be going and looking at this particular chapter and other editions to see 
just you know if it's you know this is it's just such a wacky chapter that I'm just I want to verify it and the sidebar Perhaps you may remember the occasion during the last months of President Reagan's administration. He was invited to an assembly of seniors of three high schools in Florida to address them. In the question and answer period afterward, the valedictorian of each class was allowed to ask a question. When the last one, a girl, rose for her question, the president was being rushed off the stage by his aides. He told her to go ahead with her question while he was walking to the side and rear of the stage. She asked, what can Congress do? The president. Reaching the right rear corner of the stage with his arm upraised, shouted back, If it's not in the Constitution, they can't do it. Then he was gone. In law, he was right. In practice, he was dead wrong. Congress and the President have been violating that point of law for years. If anyone in any branch of the U.S. government grants approval of funds for any businesses in which the government is engaged, he or she is approving the government's participation in an unconstitutional activity, which is not authorized by the Constitution of the USA, as therefore breaking his or her oath to the office to preserve and protect the federal and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. The same goes for any executive, president included, who signs the appropriation of funds or dispenses them. Do you know how much the annual taps on the Treasury by these government businesses loses cost business losses cost us? The total of all personal income taxes, estate taxes, and gift taxes. And those businesses all of them pay no taxes and pay no rent. Further, in the history of estate taxes and gift taxes, our government has never made a dime, never netted a dime. They spend all their, their they collect collecting it. Congress has to borrow for that part of the business losses to make up for the non-netting estate and tax in gift taxes. IRS has an estate tax audit rate of 105 to 110 percent annually. Why can't they trust themselves? Our government lies to its citizenry as policy. Consider how much they have lied to the U.S. about MIAs in Vietnam. When Congress, Congress and the President passed the excise tax law during World War II, they promised that the law was merely to raise wartime funds and that the tax would be repealed right after the war. They lied. Take the case of the Native Americans in southeastern U.S. who had their lands confiscated by the federal government during World War II. These Americans were promised that the land was taken for wartime use only and would be returned as soon as the war was over. To this day, the land has never been returned to its rightful owners. The government lied as usual. Take the case of Bill Benson. He checked in person the archives of every state in the nation, plus the National Archives, and discovered that the 16th Amendment never passed. It's the law that never existed. It's an illegal amendment to our Constitution. As a result, Benson did not pay taxes. He was arrested, brought to court, and his attorneys were made to submit more than 80 briefs, one after the other, in an obvious attempt to draw out the case. The judge made Benson perform his archival researches again, this time using procedures ordered by the court. Benson did so again, adhering to these procedures precisely. The result came out the same. So he proved under court order procedure that the tax law, the 16th Amendment to the Constitution, never passed and is illegally being enforced. Our government lied again. Nevertheless, the court found him guilty and sentenced Benson to prison. He was on a medical medicinal schedule with a life-preserving medicine. The prison changed that and reduced him to practically a vegetable. Our federal government is now 
starting to pass into existence laws equivalent to the Roman Catholic state laws of the seven centuries of the Inquisition concerning property confiscation, both real and personal, also arrest, accusation, trial, and conviction. Our legislative and executive branches have passed a law that makes the arrest of property legal. Innocent persons are being arrested without a warrant, the property arrested also without a warrant, without evidence or proof of guilt. The bank accounts, homes, cars, personal property arrested. How does a house or a bank account or a car or a doll or a bicycle or tricycle defend itself? How on earth does the victim defend himself with all of these his estate confiscated? If he proves himself innocent, unbelievably, he is allowed to buy back his property. With what? No bank account, property, cash, credit, or business. Will someone please convince me that our government has not deteriorated? Even if they repeal or modify this law, they passed it to start with. What next? The sovereignty of our nation is vanishing. A citizen of another country can walk the streets of our country and arrest anyone he hears saying anything that he doesn't like. President Lincoln predicted that our nation would die from action within, not from an external attack. How right he was. Now we are being made to pay for the criminality of our government allowed for the years by SNL, bank officers, executives and owners, amounting to billions upon billions of dollars. All they can do to is to raise taxes when they could accomplish more than by cleaning up our government's house, by making our government constitutional, by adopting into action the recommendations of the Grace Commission and the Hoover Commission, and by passing the Liberty Amendment. It's impossible to expand to expect the legislators and executives to change their course to that extent. They are too far down the trail, leaning on the destructive habits they are used to. The Constitution specifically states that Congress has the power and authority to coin money and regulate the value thereof. Nowhere in the Constitution is the right to delegate that authority and responsibility granted under any circumstances whatsoever. Congress unconstitutionally delegated that authority and responsibility to a private bank, and it is costing our nation its economic lifeblood and interest. This is a terrible conflict of interest. The bank wants the national debt to increase. It earns them more interest. Deterioration of our government is achieved by the people in, a, in it approaching a cataclysm, bringing down their nation, just like the mice in that extremely low-density magnetic field environment experiment. In the mice experiment, we see universal forcible rape around the clock, and cannibalism is the ultimate signs of criminality during low-density magnetic field environment. Humans, we see uh, different refinements of that degrees of criminality. Remember, those without empathy turn criminal first. Greed is the most common denominator contributing to criminal behavior. Rape and beating and murder follow closely, behind all the crimes that no one will ever know. That is common to just about every criminal's mind. When those with power in the financial world are touched with this thought combined with their lack of empathy, they have entered into the world of crime. They might as well stand alongside the rapists, beaters, thieves, and robbers, murderers, and be counted. They're all non-empathetic, leveling criminally with a lowering magnetic field density of our planet as it approaches the next cataclysm. This is not an apology for the criminality. It's a damnation of welcoming oneself into adulthood of no empathy. The consequences are explicit. We are all responsible for our own acts, our own empathy. This page is for the icing on the cake.
The Constitution of the United States of America states bluntly in Article 4, Section 4, The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion and an application of the legislature or of the executive when the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. The only process through which this guarantee made in the supreme law of our nation can be kept is through the United States government, the president and the legislature. Note that the italicized provision does not specify armed invasion. It includes any and all kinds of invasions. The states of our nations have been invaded by some 6 million illegal immigrants plus 3 million more this year. Total taxpayer cost, $35 billion. Why has our government not honored its responsibility constitutionally assigned to it? Why are the U.S. citizens losing their country to illegal aliens? Abraham Lincoln said it in 1838, quote, If the USA's instructions be our lot, we must be ourselves its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide, end quote. Uh, that is the end of the chapter. Um, and I think it's a little wacky and off the rails, uh, to be honest. <laughs> Starting out with the Jesus and the UFOs and then ending up on the Constitution and illegal aliens. Okay. <clears throat> This is why I want to go check the other versions. And also, you know, the next chapter is called Jesus and the Cataclysms. And hopefully he'll circle back everything around and make it into a nice pretty bow. Um, and this chapter is just like a setup for the next thing. Because, I don't know about you, but that was pretty... Mm. Um... Alright guys, thanks for listening again. I really appreciate it. I'm going to up my production schedule of this season so I can get through the rest of this book and start on another book. I'm not necessarily sure which one I want to do next. Um, I know in earlier episodes I mentioned the stories that I was thinking of tackling in this podcast. And, you know... I'm just pulling it up right now so I can take a look to see um, what ones those are that I have. You know, there's the cyclical deluges. Um, there is world in peril. Um, and they're probably all great. And I even have, uh, oh gosh, I can't think of it now. Dark sun or solar darkness. Uh, about the coming mini ice age uh if you guys have suggestions let me know um otherwise i'll just randomly pick one okay thanks you guys so much for tuning in and i will see you next time